Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Another excerpt outtake episode from Sports Card Live, my recent appearance there with Jeremy Lee. Always have a good time and notice the topics, and there are others, but thanks sponsors Tops Panini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, and Compsy.com and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So enjoy the uh, outtakes from this episode. Uh, you might check out Jeremy every Saturday evening anyway on YouTube. Sports Cards Live. Thanks, Jeremy. And thanks, listeners. Here it is. I do want to ask you, like 2021 beyond, how are you planning to approach the hobby in 2021? Come on, Jeremy. I'm retired. <laughs> well, this is the first of a multi-part uh, question. For I was having a good time in 2020 until COVID popped in and that, a setback, but I apparently had COVID early, a very mild case. I didn't even know because I've got the antibodies. So I don't want to be too cavalier about it, but the best thing I can do is have less stress in my life and take good care of myself and, and not be foolish. But I'm willing to go to some shows. With the way the hobby's exploded lately, you think like an entrepreneur, Jim. Is there any inkling for you to start something new, a new product or service within the hobby? I love starting things. But like I said, I'm not looking to have uh, employees or be an employee. I'm more of an entrepreneurial consultant. I, I already do a lot of that. And I really enjoy that. I don't want to start something that I'm running. If people called me in as a consultant for things, I love doing that. And that can be very short term. I'm not looking to work 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 hours a week like I used to. I think I had trouble setting boundaries, I think, when I had the company. And so selling the company gave me a new lease on life, some margin that I want to give back. The podcast is very manageable. Even though it's daily, it's 15 minutes. Going to a card show every so often, but I'm not going to start a company. If somebody wants to bring me in as a consultant, if it's very short term, very specialized, I, I love doing that. I'm already doing that, actually. I get calls, so I'm happy to help up to a certain point. And I can vouch for that. You've given me advice off camera and I've greatly appreciated it. So your wisdom, your experience is, is, is excellent. Deferred gratification. My Christmas Eve episode prepared before Christmas Eve. I wasn't up taking time away from uh, my family. But no, I think that's part of the Christmas Eve aspect of growing up. And I thought, what's that got to do with card collecting? I, I think the card collectors that are not able to defer gratification are actually doing better in this outrageous bull market. But if it ever turns they'll be the ones holding the bag. So some restraint, some deferred gratification. You don't have to get it all this month, this year. I'm the old guy now, Jeremy. So I want to be the voice of reason and things are doing great now. And so you have a tendency to just get it as quick as you can right now. But it, most people have a budget and, and they ought to make choices based on that. You also talked about FOMO, something that is talked about in the hobby all the time. I think a lot of people I don't want to say suffer from it because I think it's natural, just human tendency to not want to miss out on something or something that could benefit them in the future. But you redefined how you thought FOMO should be thought of in the hobby. I think FOMO is thought of too narrowly. Basically, the FOMO that everybody's worried about right now is that I'm going to miss out on buying something because I'm going to feel stupid that I didn't buy it now. But there's another kind of FOMO that could happen. And that is the fear of missing out on a selling opportunity that right now everybody's buying, everything's hot. A year from now, maybe not so much. And then you're going to be ticked off that you missed out on the opportunity to sell when everybody wanted to buy. So there needs to be a healthy balance of fear on both sides. You just can't have this irrational exuberance that everything's always going to go up. Then the fear of missing out, like I said, I think the greater fear is the fear of being embarrassed. 
and, and that would be passing on something you absolutely should get or not selling when something is way overpriced. And there's some cards now that are overpriced. Still some that are underpriced, but so some balance is what I'm preaching. And I probably am preaching. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, please preach. I think, I think we want to hear you. And I think a lot of us are up against that right now. We see these values up there and it's, should I sell some of my cards to maybe lock in some gains or to just reduce my exposure to what may happen in the future? A lot of people are bullish, but a lot of people have concerns about where the hobby's going in terms of the values of their cards. So I yeah, kind of deal with that myself. No, but just for you to go down that path shows that you have a sense of balance. That's a protection. You're not so optimistic that you think that couldn't happen. And so that's all I'm asking people to do, to be thinking about that is a possibility, even though right now it looks like that's a slim possibility, but it is a possibility. And there, there are very few collectors that will never sell. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Let's talk something else about 2021, the national and will it happen? What if they had to push it back a month or two months, depending on the pandemic and all that? Is it possible for the national to be moved to a different location, to a different city? What are some of the, the constraints on the Nationals Planning Committee in terms of trying to ensure that we have this mecca for all of us to go to or those that can at some point in 2021? OK, so I'm a consultant. <laughs> I just think that Chicago is not universally, but, but widely regarded as the best choice. And so there was some heartburn about Atlantic City anyway. I'm thinking they want it to be in Chicago this summer. In fact, there's a big Chicago show three weeks before the National at the same Rosemont facility. The thinking is that it's going to happen. To move it a couple months or six months like the last time, I, I think they're going to try really hard. When you read the news and you hear the networks, the fact that we're having more infections at the same time, we're having more vaccines getting out there. You really are going to make progress toward the herd immunity. But it's going to be painful because not everybody wants to get the vaccine, but most people probably will. And more and more people are getting affected, some seriously and some with mild cases. So I'm, I'm hoping we have it. That, that'd be really tough to miss two years. Sure would be. I'm with you. Okay, let's talk about CSG, the grading company, who just recently put out their pricing. I saw an email from them a day or two ago. Their pricing seems low compared to PSA and BGS. Will this allow them to gain market share and perhaps become the number two grading company in the industry? It's not a surprise that there'd be another entrant into a, a, a lucrative field that has huge backlogs. I just find it interesting that I had people that I knew that I liked and liked me, but they never really chose BGS for grading. And they would always tell me, but yeah, the PSA graders are really good. They, they were the first ones. They've got a lot of experience. All of a sudden, CSG hires Andy and Weston, and these guys are all-stars. <laughs> the same guys that I always thought were really great. Now everybody says, oh, those guys are great. And they are. They're going to do a great job. But the grading decision, first of all, you got to decide whether you want to grade. And then you got to decide what company you want to go to. And that could be different according to what cards you're dealing with. And then it's not just the price and it's not just the turnaround. There's resale. There's some other customer service elements and business conditions and, and the way things happen that make it complicated. And so I think CSG is going to have an uphill battle because they're coming in fresh, but they do have the advantage of having other grading infrastructure from other categories and a, and a couple of really good guys to start with. but. BGS has a whole bunch of good guys already. So does SGC. And PSA apparently has hired more people recently. And so 
everybody's ramping up for it. And I wish them well. I hope, I hope they do a good job. You can't win because if you're too tough, that's bad. And if you're too lenient, that's bad. If you're too cheap, that might be bad because then you'll get overrun. If you're too expensive, then nobody comes to you. So it, they can't control it. All they can do is try to do a great job. And knowing Andy better than Weston, those guys are going to try to do a really good job. And I knew Steve Eichenbaum a long time ago. They're good people. They're, they're going to do the best they can. Okay, I'm excited to see how it works out for them and what the landscape of the grading options look like for us collectors down the road. And we see how they are able to wrangle some market share from, from the other companies for themselves. There's been some controversy or drama with some Beckett slabs, some fake slabs that are apparently out there. What measures would you take to curb the influx of Beckett slabs in the market at the moment? If you were still at the helm, how would you be managing this? Crisis is a strong word, but I think it might be appropriate couple of things, Jeremy. Number one, not all the slabs that are purported to be counterfeit and bad are bad. Some of them are legit. People want to have a false dichotomy that it's either good or it's bad. If they see anything that looks suspect, then they think it's a conspiracy or there's some nefarious thing. But there are ways that cards can get a wrong descriptor that things can be misplaced. There are slabs that can get cracked and then re-slabbed. So there could be some things that are internal. That's one point, that all these ones that are supposedly counterfeited, I don't believe they're all counterfeited. Some of them have other explanations. Secondly, I've watched this, and it's Jeremy and the BGS leadership are, are in a tough position because if they lay out what the situation is and uh, what they're going to do, they're educating uh, because I do think there are some, a few bad people out there. It's not all of them, but there's a few people that are trying to crack the code. Uh, for Jeremy to be very descriptive about what they're going to do and how they know is bad business for him. Now, so he's walking a tightrope. He's got to project an air of confidence as well as tighten up. And I think they are. But to go on and say, here are the steps we're taking to make sure then the crooks just say, okay, we're going to do it a different way next time. I, I think the percentage of mistakes is very small. Do you think that the management should make a statement to the hobby, sort of not necessarily letting the hobby know, here's what a slab should look like? If they do that, yeah, they're going to maybe educate the bad actors and give them, let them stay one step ahead of the slab itself. Is there something that Beckett could do to at least appease the collector base? Are you buying the card or are you buying the holder? And if you are buying the, the holder and ignoring what the card looks like, I think Jeremy's statement as the VP of grading on authentication was to, to beware, to give it a close look, to use your eyeballs. And if something's too good to be true, like I said, I think many of the ones that were pointed out, or at least several, were, I don't believe were criminal. They were mistakes or, like I say, replacement labels. People don't realize that if a, a label gets damaged, then you have to go to a, a different label printer to print a one-off label. Then you put that in the slab. So there can be duplicate labels. There's no mystery to it if you understand the process. But why would Jeremy want to explain our process when there's two major competitors and a third on the horizon? And all of them are facing these same things of replicating the slab as well as replicating the label. And what Jeremy said was, look at the card. Look carefully at the card. And people ought to do that regardless, whether it's PSA, SGC. Again, everybody's had this. Look at the card. Yeah, because I think the thing with these fake slabs or these alleged fake slabs is not that the card within it is 
inauthentic or counterfeit or, or, or altered. It's just a lower graded card that got slipped into a, a slab with a uh, higher grade points. Very good advice. I guess that his statement to buy wisely or beware, however you put it, is actually the advice that you need to follow. It's not enough for many people, especially if somebody got burned. And I understand that. But when I was mentioning CSG is that the guarantee, the implicit or explicit guarantee that each grading company has, there are differences in the way each company treats it. And CSG being the latest entrant has a chance to look at the playing field. And they've said, here are all the things we're going to do. And I thought, wow, that sounds really impressive. And then I thought, wait a minute, that's the same stuff BGS is already doing. And I think PSA is already doing it too and SGC. But they're marketing it and they're going to help get grading back into reasonable turnarounds. And it's going to be at the expense of all the companies because they're going to get some business. Yeah. Okay. Next question. At the beginning of time at Becca Grading, any cards that were sheet cut, not pack pulled, let's say, were slabbed along with the pack pulled cards. Do you think that in hindsight now, would it have been better to go the other way and maybe label these cards, distinguish them on the label as something other than what you expect a card to be with being pack pulled? Should there have been a distinguishing indication on this, the label that this card was not pack pulled? Does it look pack pulled? We're talking about decades later. Was it cut with the same professional cutting technique? If it was, then whether it was cut originally or decades later, it was the same cutting technique and professionally cut. The problem is when there's a mismatch, it was a different technology or some of these hand cut things are problematic. All cards pretty much came from a sheet. If they're professionally cut in the same manner as they originally cut, I think it's an undetectable difference. The best example is the peachy and a different cutting technique. If you were to get, get, create your own guillotine wire cutting thing, you'd have to go to a used factory equipment store to find an archaic cutting machine, because I can't imagine they would do that anymore. Who would do that? It's another differentiator of the grading companies in the way yeah. they treated. Star Company, same thing. BGS, I think, is maybe the only one that grades Star Company because they feel they have a confidence with their sources to determine whether they're legit, where their original production star company basketball, but the other companies don't. So that's another differentiator. All of them have a choice how they treat these cutting issues and authenticity and going back to press rumors as a point of differentiation.